0: Welcome to the Foley Jones Show. On this podcast, I'm going to be joined by some of the most inspirational and charismatic figures from the world of KBB and Builders Merchanting, alongside some very special guests. 2020 has not been the year anyone expected, but we're now entering our new normal, and whoever you are, whatever you're doing, it's going to be a new game. Okay, here we go. This is a very special episode of the Foyne Jones Show for number two of its a new game. I have got a special guest joining me. It's a bit of a fanboy moment. I've got to say, I don't normally get speechless, but I'm nervous. I am joined in the studio. Let's see if any, if any listeners can guess this before we get there. I'm joined by an ex-Fulham football club, Queens Park Ranger, Manchester United, an England player. Who am I talking to? It's Paul Parker. Paul, good morning. Welcome to the Fine Jones Show. From me and all my listeners, thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to us today. Good morning to you and pleasure to be here. Oh, Paul, it's so good to have you on, mate. Just, just before we get into your playing career and, and your experiences and journey through football, um, the here and now, mate, it's been a difficult time for everyone, for my listeners, for their families. Um, people are losing jobs under the threat of redundancy from a health perspective. Is the Parker family fit and well, mate? Has it been okay for you?
1: Everything's been fine. I wouldn't say fit because I feel unfit because I'm a person who gets up very early, I go to the gym very early, and that was taken away from me for a lot of weeks not being able to do that. So it, it was a bit frustrating, and I, I did actually feel it to be honest of not going, and I suddenly felt it. It felt like at a point it was starting to show I wasn't going. But lucky enough, I, in the last few weeks, I've got a very good friend of mine, and he's got something in his garden, which I've been using to quite a bit. So I'm up very early round his house, going in there, finishing early, and it makes my day longer. I have moments when I feel like I'm going to die on my feet, but Perfect. it's got, it's got my mind going quite early, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've
0: got, and I won't, dare embarrass myself by calling it a gym. I've got like a mini gym in my office here at Foy Jones, and it's a a bench with a few mats, and, you know, you can lift things, pull things. And that was a godsend for myself, to be fair, because it was a release. We had it the same way. Callum, who was just here doing the pre-recording tests, myself and Callum were training for the marathon. So on the day before uh, lockdown, we'd done our 18 and a half mile training run, um, now I've done a few marathons before. So whilst I was in pain at 45 years old, I was kind of mentally all right. Callum's never done that distance as a 19 year old before. So he was like, wow, I've done it. You know, we're there. The next day, they've taken the marathon away. They've taken the football away. And then on Monday, I'm like, how am I going to have a business? And um, has that always made a difference for you, mate? Obviously, when you're a pro. And it was you know, you had to be at that elite level, but you've taken that into the into your after after football, your business world as well, that the mental and physical fitness.
1: Yeah, I just I just feel as if I need to do something. If, if I if I've got nothing before ten o'clock in the morning, I feel that I need to by seven half seven, get myself in the gym, get on a cross trainer, get on a bike and just work myself into a sweat frenzy to be perfectly honest. And then I know I just believe I've done something, I believe that I can maybe eat, maybe drink a bit more, and just feel that I'm still kind of somewhere around my plane weight. I don't think I'm too far away from it at this moment in time. Um, but I just, it always done that for me. But you was on about doing a marathon. I was gearing up and I always need something to aim for you. Yeah. You, need, you need a focal point. And my focal point for the second year in a row was going to be the prostate cancer bike ride from Stratford to Amsterdam.
0: Fair play, mate. That's
1: that's a trail yeah. journey. Yeah, I'm um, 146 miles. I did it last year, and I was I was looking to do that in the first weekend in June, and it never materialised. Obviously, it didn't materialise. Yeah. But just the fact of not being able to do anything anymore was a hindrance. Tried me best to get stuff to home. Tried to get some kind of machines. I must have run ten different companies. No one had anything. Yeah. They said they'll get back to me. These companies must have earned fortunes because people were having so much. Everything so much went, if
0: You were to, we 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 naively me and Mrs Jones naively tried to order a barbecue. You know when when uh, you know a few weeks back when it was roasting hot, we thought well we'll upgrade the barbecue. You know we will go for one of the yeah we, we, we'll go eat, we'll get one of the big boys. You know so it's mm. um it's amazing what went but. You know what, that kind of that kind of hundred and seventy six on a bike there, what what how, what would that be over? A couple of days? It well, was a couple gonna... of days. You you start off on the um about when I did
1: it last year, we left Stratford at about half past eight in the morning. Um and, and I didn't and then we cycle all the way to did which is at the far end of Essex, where I live, and I That's your sure part of Earth, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I never knew that Essex went up to like three hundred and forty foot you know, three hundred and forty thousand feet above sea level. <laughs> is that, that right? Three hundred forty thousand, or is that 300? No, I think it's 340, sorry.
0: Uh, it, all out, mate. It,
1: it was it was tough. Right. And then you got you cycle there. I arrived there at about I actually stopped at about six o'clock after you know, we had three stages oh. and got on that boat and it wasn't sea legs I had, I just had bite legs and my legs were wobbly. Maybe a couple of pints I had while I was on a boat didn't help me, but it was tough. The bonus was when you get to Holland, it's quite flat.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to
1: say it's flat, but it was quite flat. It was very windy and dangerous. Um, one of the girls from Charlton who was riding for, for the football club got blown off the road and broke a finger. And But it was just one of those things that when I've done it and had a few moments, I just need... To get over those, I need to do it again to get over those. Well, I guess That's as
0: well because you, you you've not got that. You know, mate, listen, I, I I've played in a charity match at Craven Cottage and I scored a pen. I've I, you know my my career but I'd imagine we're not you're far playing, behind me then, are you? Well, well maybe on a goal scoring chance, Paul. <laughs> maybe on that, but mate, listen, I I've bumped off school to watch you play reserve games for Fulham, mate. I've I've like watched your career as a kid, you know. So I was born in seventy five, so. If you look at my first kind of memories of football, it is in your era, mate. So that's kind of how buzzing I am today. But you know you talk about that 176 miles. Myself and Callum's dad did some fundraising for campaigning against Living Miserably. So CALM for men's mental health, male suicide. And we walked in Fulham's promotion season under Slavisa. We walked from first game of the season. We walked from Reading overnight to Fulham. OK, so we walked there. Should have been 37 miles. We got lost for it about 46 miles, but we raised about 10 grand. So we thought that's good. Um, someone come up with a stupid idea that for the last game of the season, we'll walk from Birmingham, or we'll walk from Craven Cottage to St. Andrews, which is a lot further. That's 112 miles, four and a half marathons in three and a half days. And um, and we did it. And that was pure mental endurance because you you weren't in a pack you, you split up you was you know and we raised 9 on 40k for campaigning miserably. it was a, it was amazing and full of being Fulham, managed to lose that match as well but <laughs> we did we did nick it in the playoffs against the Villa That kind of, I think, Paul takes us on to, on to Paul Parker the playing career because I love the story about you and Jim Stonehard and some of the other boys getting the district night at Putney and then going down to going down to Richardson Evans at Roansum because it, it all begun for you at Fulham, mate, didn't it? Were they, were, they your, were they like your youth club, or was you somewhere before Fulham? No, I was <clears throat> Fulham was the first professional club who sh- showed
1: any interest in me. I was um, playing for a team in Dagenham. And a few of us from that team got asked to come across. Well, I kind of got asked to join that team in Dagenham because of one of the um, people at Fulham was a was a a man called Johnny Martin. He was at some point had maybe a little bit of initial there as his early part as a young player, but never succeeded. But he became a coach, and Fulham was always in his blood and. He, he was still there working, helping, or still in contact with a fella called Derry Quidley, who was a scout. Him and and there was Den Taylor, who was a scout, and he worked that kind of part of Essex. And so I joined this team because I think by me joining that team, that they knew then that there was it could get me to go into Fulham. And I went to that team, and and there was Dean Coney was there. And um, so that's when I knew Dean from the age of age of eleven. I knew Dean personally prior to that. I knew Dean... He from- was, pro-
0: was a proper number nine, wasn't yeah. he, Paul?
1: But I knew Dean prior to that from playing against him when he played for Barking and I was playing for Havering and Dean was like a superstar. And that being, you know, <clears throat> it was a big, strong, good-looking, blue-eyed boy, but he could score goals and he was quick. <clears throat> and there was um, Steve Tapley come and join that team at some point. And there was another four or five lads, but they never got over the line to get to an apprenticeship. Jim... Jim was local, but never Jim was like about a year older than us. So we all got just all embedded ourselves there at Fulham Football Club. And we did do that commute, and it was like about 39 stops And we're That
0: is the longest journey you yeah. could ever do on the district line. You hear stories of well, my one, well, maybe it's just my own, but you hear stories of them going on a night out trying to get back to Fulham Broadway or past the screen of Putney Bridge. They fall asleep, they get the Wimbledon, and they wake up in and up and stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It, I mean, That's a long old journey, yeah, man. A few times
1: I've ended up there, but lucky enough it's only up Minster, was only three stops back where I yeah. got on a Elm Park. Dean Dean used to get on a barking. I think Big Jim used to get on a Daglam Heathway, something like that. So all of us used to go along. But as apprentices, we used to, I mean, I was up at half six in the morning, travel with me mom. my mum. My mum used to work at Chancery Lane as a traffic warden. I remember at that point when I was an apprentice, so I travelled with her and then. <clears throat> And then Dean, then we join up with Dean, but we'd finish late on. Dale Tempest was an apprentice as well. And he was the head boy. He was he was murder. He was absolutely, he was so tough and clinical and everything he'd done. He wouldn't let us go and to everything was, you know, he'd looked at everything, checked everything. So we were not leaving until five, six o'clock. And was going back on that train. You could imagine even then the trains were packed and hot. And we was all falling, just falling asleep. We couldn't talk. And we we did that for, you know, solid two years, even though we was involved in the first team squad. I mean, I made my debut at 17. We were still kept apprentices. There was none of this, oh, you've played so many appearances in a pro team. Um, for the first team, you become a pro. No, you had to still be there and clean boots. You know, I cleaned strongest boots, Tony Gale and Malcolm O'Donnell's boots. And you, was, you were still even though you was involved with the first team, you got treated. The moment that game was over, you was picking up the towels after the game. You was picking up kit. You was picking up horrible slips or job straps.
0: Is that as character building as, it, as it's made out to be? Bob? Yeah. Or is it just not that good? You know?
1: You know, it's, listen, if someone said to me, I had to go and do that now, I'd go, "Oh no, because now I've got a choice and I could throw thing yeah. up now. But in that at that time... You could, you had no one to go to to say, I'm not doing that. You was never going to win, weren't going to win the battle. So you was going to get nowhere winning the war. And you use those words character building, which is a old fashioned term in today's world because you can't, you can't, kids can't have character building anymore. It's called cruelty and bullying, whatever. It served me well. It served all the mm-hmm. lads around me well. We're still in contact. All those lads I grew up mm-hmm. with, there's about 30 of us on a Fulham, all of us, the John Reeves, the um, who else is on it? Leroy Rosinia, Gary Elkins, oh. Gary Barnett, Cliffy Carr, Tony Grove.
0: But may, uh, may I tell you, Mr. Parker, I, I don't know if I still have them, but I when Fulham lost the Bristol Rovers, I was ball boy in that playoff match. And uh um uh, I, I left the field with Gary Barnett's shirt and shin pads. There you go. If you ever want some back, mate, let, him, let me know. I'll see if I can find them. I, I really those, like those names that you're talking about there, like the Tony Gow, yeah, the Leroy's, the Dean Coney's, the Gary Barnett's, I mean, I could go on and on. This is like a, an amazing part of my childhood. And 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 we were joking when we spoke last week Paul, saying, if, if I'm going to put my retro Oscar shirt on because it was the first shirt I ever had. Fulham... I went to school at Bishop of St. Mark's, so the school next to Craven yeah. Cottage in Bishop Park. That was my school. In my year, when I was at secondary school, so 88, 89, 90, 91, 92. So I was at uh, 15 when you was in the World Cup ball, yeah. and I am like, That's Fulham's Paul Parker player, not QPR Main News. I'm like, That's Fulham's Paul, like, Paul Parker. There was only about seven Fulham fans in my year, you know, because we we kind of lost that fan base and and you you broke into the team at uh, uh, like the cusp was something quite special when that was going, that, that that season. Them seasons, didn't you? Them early ones for you.
1: Yeah, I, I did. I mean, it was mainly down to Malcolm McDonald I think he inherited good players <clears throat> and he brought in, he brought in maybe his best signing would have been Ray Houghton. Yeah. Ray Houghton was an incredible signing. We couldn't believe it as young players. We was actually training, having a training session in Bishop's Park in the, after, like in the afternoon, Ray Hartford was a youth team coach. And all of a sudden, Ray, Hart, um, Ray Houghton was brought over into the park by Malcolm McDonald, And they say, oh, just let him join him with us. Because there wasn't much age difference. So we was like, in our final year as apprentices as such. And Ray, Ray's come in. And, it, and like we, we was just wow. We couldn't believe how West Ham had let him go. I don't think West Ham wanted to. They couldn't have wanted to. But I think there was someone else in front of him and they decided to go that way with that player. And obviously, budgets (laughs) was a massive issue in in that day. And and they couldn't afford to keep him. So Malcolm McDonald had gone in. And when you use the word Nick, there must be a better word to use because Ray Hartford, Ray, keep saying Ray Hartford, Ray Houghton. he wasn't a Nick, he wasn't a steal. I I don't know how they managed to do that. We could call it maybe a kidnapping or something. (laughs) <laughs> I, really do, I really, I really don't know, but what I mean, what a play was—he was—he was, he, he was just full of so much confidence and belief in his own ability. And Ray still possesses one of his greatest strengths was—and he still got it—is the fact that he would, he would have an argument in a telephone box with himself. And I think if anyone remember him when he was regular on TalkSport, the amount of arguments he had with people on the is was incredible. And I see Ray on the circuit of co-commentating. And you sit there with him, and you throw something up, and talking about talk about an opinion is absolutely incredible how Ray is. But I mean, he was as a footballer. He left Fulham,
0: went to Oxford. Yeah, went to Oxford, not Liverpool. I think he, he he
1: he won he won a league cup. They beat QPR in a league cup. He
0: single-handedly beat QPR that day yeah. at the Milk Cup final, did he? I, I remember that. But he just buzzed around. I, I remember he, him he's,
1: he, everywhere. He's no different now when you see him. He still looks that same. Okay, he's carrying a little bit more timber, but he still looks still looks the same. He hasn't really changed, and that's one of the benefits of being co commentators you see people you play with, I see a lot of yeah. I see a lot of Tony Gale. He's moved to where I live now. He lives in the same town as me, so I see him more so. But I see him on the circuit. I, I travelled with him the other day when we done we done West Ham v Chelsea, and you see a lot of people about. And I go back to it again. Is that WhatsApp group where we got? Brian Green or Brian Greenway's on it as well. Stevie Hatter, Tony Mahoney, um, St- um, Jimmy Richardson. I don't know if you can remember him. He might be just before we when I first went there. But there's yeah. a lot of old names on there now, and it. And it's always good to go back, and you you should never forget where you started. I mean, I like
0: mean, you spoke about. you spoke about some of the names there, like you know, I have actually got to know Les Strong quite well—not that well, but he's he's quite an ambassador for Fulham, and I've been at different memorial events and other events, and he's just a gentleman. But I think he's um, I mean, think, I think when you or the Shepherd's Bush Player Select, but when you look at kind of the Paul Parker journey, mate, did you? Did you imagine from that, that train journey, that district line, all those stops up and down, that that would take you from Craven Cottage to to Queen's Park Rangers, Old Trafford, and then ultimately to the England team? I mean, was that was that boys' own stuff, or was there, could you feel it happening? Was there ever a moment you thought it was going to come, come, come good for you? Not,
1: not in a million years, to be honest. My, my, my main objective was the same as any kid during my time, was to be a professional footballer. So school was out of the equation for me. And that's, that's my biggest regret ever is that I, my educa- education-wise, sloppy. Um, but it was to play for my country and play in an FA Cup final. I think that's what we, we all thought about. FA Cup was the biggest game. Everyone talked about an FA Cup. It was the last game of a season. It was a glamour of football. Winning leagues. What, what was winning a league then? Um, but it was... My The main thing was I played for Fulham and I never I never saw myself leaving Fulham because I thought Fulham was football. In fact, if, if people could understand or people mostly now wouldn't relate to it, but everything, when people play for clubs, it was at clubs because they wanted to be there. They wanted to be football. Yeah. And loyalty was a massive thing, a massive thing. One of those, if you, people knew you were loyal, loyal football, there was this trust about it. They, Who's always going to be there. I never I never really saw myself leaving because all the people I grew up with, yes, I've got my schoolmates and I'm still in contact with them. But the people I grew up with from, say, the age of 14 was John Marshall, Peter Scott, oh, yeah. Cliff Carr, sure. Del Tempest, Peter Knott, um, all, all of those lads, all the, you know, Jim Stannard, all the kids I knew other than my schoolmates. So I thought, this is me. Because I like I like that idea of being around them, and the moment I, in the end, had to leave Fulham, was was mate was in a way I was pleased in a way because there was a, a few, issues which I weren't happy with, but it took me a while to get over because of um I'd left somewhere I'd been from the age of eleven, and I was I went across I went what five miles, you know five miles in actually into West London and. It was a big change because there was a top division club, and was a there wasn't
0: that much there that much grass on the pitch, Paul, was there? Either at that there time, was a lot of
1: my skin left there after
0: four, after that one season. I'll tell, I'll tell you what, mate. If you tackled me like a ferret, you must have had some burns, mate, wouldn't I, you? On that
1: pitch, I still I have still um, got them around my hips and on my knees from what the, the friction burns. And I, there's many times I woke up in the middle of the night, went to get get out of bed, and I took a sheep with me
0: because of the burdens it was <laughs> but, you know, People don't realise that like, when, when QPR, Luton and Preston had them pitches and Oldham, it were not the 4G, 5G, you know, engineered, scientific pitch. It was a plastic pitch where you never knew where the ball was going to bounce. It was a completely different, completely different game, wasn't it, back then, when that pitch is. But, Paul, I mean... Going back to Fulham, I could spend this whole series of podcasts talking about your Fulham memories, all right? And that's not, it's great for me, probably good for you, but not that good for the listeners. Mm So I just want to end the Fulham piece, mate, on one specific event. And you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to talk about Derby County away. That was, we were so close that season, mate, weren't we? For lots of different reasons. Yeah, we we were. I
1: mean, I I was chatting out with Gailey the other day and, he said to me you was on the bench I went yeah I was but I wasn't sub I was just on the bench, which was in a certain way which was quite safe given what <laughs> given what happened at the end of the yeah. game but it was that moment sitting there and after the just the previous season of getting promotion from the, yeah. you know from the third into the into the second division
0: three to two And yeah. then
1: being so close and then that one game and you know things were deteriorating, the form had dropped. The belief had gone a little bit. And then what happened at Derby, there was just that little bit more of an edge about them. But what happened at the end was absolutely was scary. Absolute scary. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Hopkins was another one, apprentice together. I mean, Jeff got the crap whacked out of him. he came come in. He was a gib room wreck in the dressing room. And Jeff, if any Fulham football fans remember that time, Jeff he was, was, was though. Lovely fellow. You get him off the field and you'd have thought you was with a bank teller or an accountant. You get him on the field and you might, well, you might as well have been with a Welsh rugby player because he, he died for the cause. And they, he was scared, he was frightened, his shirt was ripped off his back. Because when the referee blew the whistle early, he didn't do his job properly for the care of the players. He should have gone around letting people know about getting close to the tunnel. Yeah, getting close Jeff to was the unaware because they all got out there, come out of that stand on the far side, and they were there on the edge of the pitch. And the moment the referee called, did what he did, Jeff could there was no way Jeff was going to get off from there. If the lot from behind weren't gonna get him, it was gonna be the lot from his left hand side, it was carnage. I'd done well to avoid the ram. The ram the ram got scared and was hitting everybody, the ram was. It was it was ridiculous. I mean being that ground as well and what it was, It. It was cramped. It was not nice.
0: The baseball ground was horrible, wasn't it? I mean, from an away, nice you were nice. horrible there. But but let's fast forward to modern the modern game. That can't happen. Mm. It, it can't happen. If it does happen, it's a yeah, you know, it's abandoned. There's penalties. It, it can't. I mean, it's that and, that, and I that 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 kind tra- of transcends generations because whether Fulham would have got five, but you look at Fulham's fortunes from then. It was, yeah. You I know, look at myself. It was, it was a decade, decades in the lower leagues, you know, until Mickey Adams got us back up. So was, um, I, I said to you when I was at Middlesbrough away this season, um, it was a weird double. That's I bumped into Jeff Winter and Malcolm McDonald at the same time, which was a kind of a surreal, surreal experience. But. But obviously Malcolm was there to talk, you know, the Newcastle thing and sort of uh, give you feedback there. And I just pulled him one side because all I wanted to ask him about was Fulham. And the first thing that he said, he said back was, oh, Derby was terrible and whatever. But I guess from from your perspective, and you, you said that you never imagined you was going to leave Fulham. You did go to Queen's Park Rangers. And it was a difficult time for the club financially and off the field, wasn't it? So that that deal kind of helped Fulham financially, didn't it? Big time, mate. Big yeah, time. I mean...
1: When I say I didn't, I wasn't happy when I left. I wasn't happy in a manner it it was gone about with Jimmy Hill, the way he was doing it. I wanted someone to tell me what was going on. In my own mind, I knew I had to leave. I I wanted to leave because the way I I was kind of being pushed aside, so no one was talking to me. But it it boiled down to the fact of I don't leave Fulham, Fulham don't survive. That's, yeah. that's what it boiled down to. I wanted someone to tell me. Jimmy Hill and his consortium didn't really want to talk to me about it. The only person I got any real sense from and honesty was um, David Ballstrode, who was the chairman, who became chairman of Queens Park Rangers at that time as well. And um, Jimmy Hill was virtually more bothered about talking to everyone else and telling them that he was—he's going to keep on. These are his plans. What he wanted to do. I, w- I'd, I would rather him come up to me and said, Paul, you're not in the club's plans anymore. And then bang, you know, footballers just want to know. You You can't keep them on a string because what they become, there's anxiety, everything. We're, you know, we've got an ego or something, but I just couldn't deal with it. Dean was very similar as well. So Dean come to um, Rangers as well, as you know. and know did, I know, you yeah, did, right? I know did. things did. I don't know whether or not actually any real money was actually exchanged, but they said the deal was a 450,000 package. So, but I don't know if any money was, you know, actually ex- were, were exchanged, I should say, but if it meant me saving Fulham Football Club, then I'm I'm very pleased that I had no problem going there. Plus as well, being me, um, an East London forward slash Essex boy, going to another West London club didn't really phase me because I spent most of my life in West London already.
0: A massive thanks to our friends at Cooker UK, our headline sponsor of the series. Foyne Jones in partnership with Cooker UK are offering specialist redundancy support to those that have been affected by the recent crisis. We will be offering free of charge CV and social media makeovers, webinars focusing on content for social media and personal branding, a weekly video showcase of talented job seekers, some employer led workshops to discuss live vacancies in your area, as well as, of course, our ongoing telephone, email, and social media support. To sign up to our redundancy support package, get in touch at letstalk at Stay safe, keep healthy, and be positive. And you joined you joined a team that was going. I mean, you know, it was a it was a good time for QPR those years, mate. It really kind of it took you up a whole level, didn't it? I'd imagine as a player, got you noticed by by by, not, not, by 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 I guess I guess a more, a, a more wider audience when you was at QPR. It did. It certainly did. I mean, it, the plastic pitch helped me no end
1: because, like you say, no one really knew how it was going to bounce. It was a difficult one to read. So I always knew that if a ball was going to come over the top and a moment it skipped off. If I wasn't really going to get there before anybody, then no one was really going to get it before me. So it helped me adjust to um, the first division because so I jumped two divisions to go and playing it. Um, the fact of that Jim Smith played me in the middle as well, where I where I left when I was playing for Fulham, I was in the middle, and he had faith in me playing. And a lot of people were scratching their head, couldn't believe that that's what he wanted to do and play me in the middle in a in a free man. In a three-man defence with two wing backs, and but it worked for QPR that season. It worked for me. It lifted my career. Over that time, I got called into the um, England squad. Within that, I was mentioned with it and got called in. Sat around for quite a while because Bobby Robson was very loyal and wanted people to understand international football. But yes, going to Queens Park Rangers, you know, heightened my game. It kind of got me out there. People, more people, knew about me. Playing, but mm. it was still one of them that Fulham
0: was always there because it was only round the corner. Yeah. And that's and, and do you know what? I mean, I mean, we I, I watched you play at QPR, I watched you play at Man United. I mentioned it at the start of the show. I watched you, you know, in your England career and sitting like fixated on the telly watching the World Cup in 1990. And uh, you know, to our family, you know, in in our house, it was Fulham's Paul Parker, and I think that's the that's perhaps the bond you have with a fans mate. But I know you was as popular as Shepherd's Bush, mate. And I guess if I look at someone who's done that in reverse, Leroy played for both, but Rufus probably done that as well as anyone from being a you know being being the big fullback at QPR, dropping down, coming to being part of that Keegan team, coming upwards, and a real fans' favourite. It's just that identity with someone, and uh, fair play to you, mate. But I guess that those QPR years, mate, then Man United come calling. I mean, what's that like when you when you hear that could be happening for you as a player? Because you don't get much bigger than that as a football club, does it?
1: No, you, you don't really. I think I think that's changed now as well, as you know. People are really not looking at history as, that, as, as such now. I think it's definitely more money-orientated. If it was about money, I would never have signed for Manchester United. But they actually come in at the last minute. There was no mention press-wise. Other clubs were being mentioned. I was actually sitting at the time talking to Terry Venables in the Royal Lancaster Hotel. And then United rang while I was talking there, talking to Terry. And Terry knew, knew me quite well because he was quite local to where I was from. That's where he was from. Yeah. And he knew in himself as well that I was a Closet Spurs fan. <clears throat> I was an Essex boy. And um, he just just said he just felt that strong I was going to go. Then United rang up. And the moment he knew that had happened, he just turned around and said, I said, virtually said to him that, you know, I've got to at least go and talk to somebody. And he just said, if you go up there, you're not going to come back. And he he was right, to be perfectly honest. The moment I got there, I'd been there as a player, but to actually to go and see it and be around it and listen to Sir Alex Ferguson, the way when he took me or gave me a, a tour around the ground and he knew so much about the ground that kind of swayed it if I'd have gone and met him in a hotel somewhere and we'd have chatted there that might have been a different story but to actually yeah. go there and someone like him <clears throat> took the time out to tell me the amount of people in each section of of the ground what he held at the time the ground was I think about 46,000 so um it, it did it made a massive difference i sold me soul then he knew already that he had me and and that was it really that, that from that moment on I suddenly changed from living, living in Essex to actually living full time up in Manchester which caused a bit of a shock in football really that I decided to move 220 miles away from your house to go and live in Manchester
0: what what a football club though mate what a football club what an experience players you played with the the journey you went on and Let's, let's, let's kind of bring the bring the football career to an end with the ultimate higher. Well, you know, it might not be the ultimate, but we, we can't not talk about the 1990 World Cup, Paul, can we? I mean, uh, that for you must have been amazing, special, heartbreaking, all, all rolled into one. But how, how would you describe that experience? I
1: would say <clears throat> you used a few words there. Heartbreaking is one of them which I use quite loosely. I would have maybe used the old adage from a footballer saying gutted. Maybe I'll go with that one, Lucifer theme, because everything I went there, I travelled expecting to be sub because I always had a number 12 shirt. You know, always, you know, I always, when all the time I was in squads and then I managed to then get on the bench, I was always number 12, always. And then I got given a number 12 shirt, never expected to play or just maybe just to get on. I had then at the time, I had um, problems, I had a hernia problem. So I had a couple of um, injections either side of my groin to get me through it, which I don't think players would do today. But players of my time, we did it because we wanted to play games. Playing games meant yeah. a lot. Playing games meant that we were going to get paid a bit more money. There was a bit, of, There was incentive for us to do it. And there was a lot of our egos as well and being involved. I wanted to make the trip. It was as certain I mean, it was as certain as that that I wanted to go because I was willing to go for that excruciating pain of injections either side of my groin. But um, to go out there and to <clears throat> not to expect to play and then end up playing one game, and then you think yourself, right, I did that Drew 0-0 with Holland, played a 3 five two, fine. He goes back to a 4-4-2, and that's what he's, he's saying about what he wants to do, Bobby Robson. He's going to go back to a 4-4-2 because of Egypt. They're not going to be anywhere near as fluid in midfield as what the Dutch were. They haven't got enough players in there that's going to outnumber us. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to four at the back. Surprise, surprise. He says I'm still playing. I expected Gary Stevens to come straight back in. I would have expected Gary Stevens assumed that he was going to come back in. As he, yeah. as he mostly would have done, and as he should have done, because Gary Stevens had played for, the, for that for that qualifying, and prior to that, he had played every single game for Bobby Robson. Bobby Robson went with me, which surprised me. I'm sure it surprised Gary more, and and Gary more than what it did me. But it was just from that moment on, everything was just a just a little bit space, really, because it was a different kind of football. And the thing about it is that three years prior to that, I was leaving Fulham to go to Queen's Park Rangers. You know, that's the, that's the yeah. maddest thing of all, that I would I was a third division player at that given time because on on June the thirtieth, I'll be June the thirtieth, nineteen eighty-seven, I'll become a Queen's Park Rangers player. Sorry, July the first, would become a QPR player. So I was when I started that World Cup three years I was playing in the third division. In front of maybe four or five thousand at Craven Cottage, so there was a big, big jump. On football point of view, I still had loads to learn because I was playing in a position that was foreign to me. Not because I wasn't as a right back mainly through that. I was a right wing back, and I wouldn't say I was qualified as an attacking as an attacking player. My strength, and which I'm never ever going to dismiss or kid myself kid myself about, is that my strength was. I could defend. I had good pace, great, a good recovery. I was tenacious and I wasn't bad in the air for a little as it was said by many people. You know, Bobby Robson being one of them. So that's how I look at it. The modern era might take it. I shouldn't be saying that, but I can say that about myself because it's the
0: truth. Uh, but I mean, that, that there, how you, how you just articulated that, Paul, June 1987, Craven Cottage, you know, third division, four and a half, three and a half, four thousand fans. You know, I know that world. Three years later, global stage, world cup, and and England get so close, don't they? I mean, that, that's the thing. It's the, you know, that that was probably one of the most beautiful tournaments in terms of the emotion behind it, and uh, it it more than captivated the nation. I mean, it captivated the world, and. And, and we were so close, I guess, Paul, weren't we? Yeah, so we close. Was, we
1: was very close. I mean it's thirty years tomorrow since the semi final. Yeah. Yeah. It's thirty years it's little, yeah, it's all everything's kind of I think over the over this um, time that everyone, you know, those nine, ten weeks of being everyone being kept in you know, kept at home as such and not really yeah. mingling is a nostalgia's played a massive part in people's life. With no football on TV, everyone would... All of a sudden, they threw in things for many years, so all of a sudden, people get remembered. But the thing that everything was geared up to was that time. And it is, for me, it's a massive ego injection because it's still seen as so high. It still throws me up and throws everyone else up. And given that England did reach a semi-final in 2018 which hardly gets a mention, people still talk about this one. And, you you know, you said it about what that World Cup was about because it was in Italy, there was something about it, the music. And I think just Italy as a country at that given time, everyone, the Italian football was, quite, was, was being shown, was here, It was quite strong. And if you talk about countries that people like going to, it was Italy, pasta, and everything about it. it,
0: is. it is. And you've got, and you've got, and you've got Gaza, and you've got that that one iconic image and moment. And man, you was on the pitch. So like, you know, we, we we look at it as fans, but I guess you summed it up, and I, and I love that. Take all of that away, we're fucking, we were fucking gutted. Yeah, you know I mean that's the that that's the big thing, and you kind of you want to hear that from your players. I I mean. Dare I say it now? There's often a time I've seen Fulham over the years come off the pitch. I'm thinking, did they really mean it? I'm sure they did. But you, you want to, you want that passion. And, and, and for for a boy from Essex who's come through the Fulham the Fulham Academy to be on that pitch and be part of it, no one's going to take their memories away, Paul. That's a hell of a career for you, yeah, mate. Something
1: that you can't put inside a cabinet and look at. To be perfectly honest, you just got to hope that you can keep all your marbles and keep remembering it. To be honest, really, people. I mean. I've done quite a few. i have just i done something January 2018, which is just shown recently was the return to Truer In with um Gary Lineker and Terry Butcher. Terry Butcher, I saw that, January, right? Yeah. 2018 we'd done that. And it was made you know mainly for the um history channel, but BBC showed it and all of a sudden more people were coming at me. But with the three of us were there and we was like bouncing different bits off each other as we were going along. To get, and all of a sudden, then we would remember certain bits because you can't remember everything. You remember certain stories, and people keep coming up to me, saying, "Tell me something about Gaza." And you think, "So, I need a hint here. I need something where I can bounce off, and then I'll go yes, and I get it." And that's and that's the way memories yeah. work. To be honest, you can't remember everything;
0: otherwise, no. you haven't had a lot. No, mate. I've got I've got a different memory of touring, but it's still an emotional one for me. I remember my two boys, Harry and Henry, they're really young. And we were there we looked up at the scoreboard and it said something I never thought I'd see in my life. It said Juventus be Fulham, yeah. right? And, uh, and I'm looking up there going, wow, I never thought that would happen. And it was a real game. And all right, We lost 3-1, but we beat them at the cottage and the, the, the dream went all the way. bit of heartbreak, but that's kind of what being Fulham fans are all about, Paul. But honestly, mate, can I can I bring bring the football career to an well, end? Not, not, uh, just not just again, I was the last time it came to an end. Oh, mate, these these are easy, mate. These are no right or wrongs, right? It's a point-judge penalty shootout. They're just really quickly, mate. Toughest opponent, number one. I'm going to come out and say Ian Rush. Ian Rush, fair play. Best player you've shared a pitch with? Gascoigne. Gaza. Proudest moment or proudest achievement in your career? Representing my country
1: in their second biggest game ever.
0: Fair play to you, mate. This is one for me. Sorry, listeners. Best fuller moment. Best
1: fuller moment was I'm going to have to come out and say, it's a few I could throw at games. I think I'm going to throw at playing in those games against Liverpool in the League Cup. I'm going to say, when I say Best playing fight, those mate. games, I don't mean the 10-0 loss. I mean the previous the previous bit. I know the ones. I
0: was going to say, you're not talking about the 10-0, mate. I know that, I know that mate. Do you know, I went to that. Right, and then I went to I went to the game when um, at the home a few years later. Well, no, quite a few years later, when Robbie Fowler made his debut, come off the bench. Then I went up to Anfield for the second time in my life, and he scored all five. So I'm like, I, I should stop going to this ground, mate. I've got a, I've got a minus fifteen aggregates. Last one, Paul. If you were going again, what, what advice would you give to the young Paul Parker? Um, as I mentioned earlier, don't forget about school. Fair play to you, mate. Paul, that's the football career wrapped up. Mate, that that is such an amazing journey for me and it's an honour to have you on. Let's talk what you're doing now, life after football, because you're busy. I'm seeing you on LinkedIn with the horses and what you're doing. So it looks like you're having a lot of fun with what, what you're doing. Yeah, I've
1: done a few things since I stopped playing and I, I tried my best to get away from football when I finished because I hated it. I blamed, fo- I, I blamed everyone else for the reason why I stopped playing. And then all of a sudden you realise there's only one person you can look at and that person is actually standing in front of you in the mirror. So I got that bit out of my head after a couple of years. I got involved in management, um, non-league with Chelmsford City. Loved it. Kind of my local team as such. You know it's, it's the, you know, it's the biggest club in Essex as such. It's the county of Essex. Sorry, it's the, it's the, you, know, yeah. it's the you know, it's a county town. And and that, that fell out of bed with some with changes, went to Welling, then suddenly realised I wasn't enjoying it. Football, you have to live the life. I didn't want to live the life. I wanted sometimes to come home and sit at home all night and be at home watching telly, being around and just being there with family, that kind yeah. of thing. So I come away from that because I just don't believe in in doing things that I'm not. In, if you're not enjoying, you have to get out because you'll be letting other people down. And it's important you don't do that. You don't take other people down with you. If you're not writing yourself, you get out of it when when you can to make sure you don't let anyone down. So I got out of it. I got. I, had, I, I did a vehicle. I had a vehicle leasing company because I'm a. I like cars, not in the sense of fast cars. I just like being. I like the. I like cars. I like knowing about them. I did that for a few years, and that was enjoyable. But the main thing for me was all of a sudden realised that I was missing, being at games, being at being at pro games, being around watching football live, being around football people, i.e. journalists and fans. So yeah. I did that. I've been doing that for many years. I love the fact of going on trains, talking to it. Very rarely do I drive to games because I like going by train. I like the fact of leaving and not sitting in traffic and just jumping on packed packed trains. Just with, you know, and just end up chatting, end up with a few chants about me on the train as well. But um it's it's all fun. It's just good going, seeing ex pros, having conversations about everything. And the thing you do when you meet ex-pros. You have this time you spend in the lounges, press lounges, and you sit up in the stands at half-time, you chat. When you finish talking and you're going home, you never swap numbers because that's been the moment. You're not you're never going to be great yeah. friends, but you respect each other from the from the career you had. But just now, just lately, I, while doing that, prior to that, I spent eight years living in Singapore doing TV work, punditry, which was an, a, an amazing experience. Great for my kids, my two boys. It's something that was, they never can be taken away from them. They've got friends all over the world now and and, and there's, some of them are moving everywhere. So, some, you know, I was brought up in an area where all my friends are in a place called Hornchurch, Raynham, Stroke, Dagnum. And the other
0: friends... Like same as me, me, Paul. Like my friends are from the same yeah. flats in front of. Them or, you, know, and you that's that's kind of where you are. But my boys had that. They spent a lot of time in yeah. Spain, and, and and it does something that like it opens their eyes to yeah. the world, doesn't it? It's a special thing. you're
1: never going to learn in a classroom.
0: Or you're never going yeah. to life skills, right? yeah. life skills. I I, um, I I talk about that often. I do a lot of work with schools, colleges prisoners you know i do work do works in all different environments you know and you know it's not this piece of paper that gets employed it's the person behind it and um i'm sorry i get evangelical over this you can you you can academia academia gets you so far but if you're not going to be a scientist or drive an airplane or do something where you really need that you know we can look at other areas so fair play to you mate fair play to you tell me about the cross cross channel (coughs) racing -channel
1: racing comes about again from me living overseas I met a, um, a gentleman called um, Mike Hawking who at the time was working or was running or involved with a property company in Hong Kong so he's found me knowing that I'm living in in Southeast Asia and he's asked me would I come along <clears throat> would I come out and talk at some of the events he does would I come and speak and just kind of relate it to maybe to London, me being an underboy, and sometimes he had properties in Manchester and talk about Manchester and just talk. So I was talking in front of 20, 30 people, CEOs, people like who were looking to buy yeah, property yeah. back in the UK. So I did that and I went I went out to Dubai. I went all over just doing his little talks. And then when I come back home, he had come back home prior and he got in contact with me. We met up and he, I met him at I'll oh, come across. I'm coming across to your neck of the I'm going to Chelmsford race course. I thought, oh, that would do. Okay, I'll go along. I'm not a racing person as such. Do all the normal boys things. You go to Ascot and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you, know, yeah, you know. Yeah. Jolly boys to Ascot and things like that. And, and so I went there. And then he starts telling me, oh, I've got shares in that horse. And I went, oh, what does that mean? Yeah, so, okay. Then I find, then he moves on. Then he says, oh, I bought a um, horse there. And then he started talking to me about <clears throat> I'm looking to get something where people come in and get involved in horses. I said, oh, and he goes, well, I want people. It's not I don't want it about the horse. I want it about people meeting each other. <clears throat> so, um, so went, oh, and then all of a sudden he said, yeah, I really want to do something. So I said, do you want people to meet via the horses? And he went, yeah, but then I want them to meet different kind of people like yourself. And we go, we you know we go to events and. You can sit on a the table, they can chat to you and a and other just sports people, so the long and short of it is, is that it's a company which which I said to him, which he liked the full, which he liked the name of and not the name, but he liked the concept you know the concept of it, what it should be, and it's sports business networking so you buy, you, say you go guy. in and like you would come in say, and we would introduce you a horse, you could be like, want to get out of shares in my horse. Tackles like a ferret, obviously, through something that Bobby Robson said about me after the Cameroon game. And you would, so we'd say, you want to buy three shares. It would give you, you can buy three shares of this horse, and it would cost you X amount a month on a two year period. There's no, nothing like this up front or anything, and vet fees. You pay a certain amount a month. Within that, we're going to say to you, we're going to give you maybe a, a lovely, cross-channel jacket which we wear it's not one that we give to people and say well you can have the bits the, the lesser ones that we you're wearing the same quality ones that we wear so when yeah. you when you do want to go and see your horse because we'll give you then owner's tags to go and watch your horse or any cross-channel racing horse running you can go and watch it <clears throat> you've got the, you've got a tag you've got the jacket and people will see you as that and you feel part of that horse but it, within that we would look at maybe a deal involving maybe something with golf if you play golf you can maybe do something involved with that package because we can get you really really good rates and incredible golf courses we yeah. would then... so that's so a whole, it's it's a whole experience. experience
0: it's a whole networking experience from being part and of the, from, yeah, and from, and from the and the, from the horse them.
1: is just that little bit that little bit in the end but it's not a be-all and end-all because you haven't given you know large amounts to get involved with it and then someone's coming and give you invoices for vet fees and all that and the old way of doing it so yeah. we could say like to go to events and we would get a table at events we would we're looking
0: with then to get in, in, a way, in a way paul you're getting all the you're getting all the enjoyable stuff out of the out of the involvement yeah. without the pain you know without without that oh no you're joking you know so you're getting to you're getting to almost feel to be part of the experience you know, and at, at, at maybe a different level, but I mean that—that that in itself, I mean, I, I mean, I've seen it, and it's got—it's got quite a, quite a noise about it. On you know, I'm, I'm predominantly only on LinkedIn, but I but I, I see that I see the interest in it. So I mean, that's that that will appeal because I mean it. I use sport in my, my. I don't think there's a business meeting I've been in since I was 18 years old where sport has not come into it in it's some growing way. Growing and growing, you know, it is. It transcends industries, it transcends sectors, and you bring your personalities to life. You know, it, it, it kind of you leave the rivalries at the door because you, you. Yeah, it's a business, but but then passions are important, and I think you get to know you get to know people. So having a business model that links in there and it gives people. Yeah, I'd say a little bit of taste of the glamour, a little bit of taste of of that experience. Fair yeah, play, mate. I mean, you you son, you you're passionate about it. So you I must am enjoy be enjoying it because it, I'm
1: getting. I mean, I'm on average I go down to stables twice a week on the days when the horses are get working harder. Flat horses work in short periods. You know, which surprised me. They work in completely different to jump horses. The way they work, they work on stamina, and it's about
0: it's about muscle poundage and. It's is hard work. So if my son was here, he'd be all over the horse racing with you, mate. He's an absolute enthusiast. He's got it from his granddad, my father-in-law. Um, I think it gets in you in your blood, that event and everything there. And I guess from a from an ex-pro and an ex, ex-elite professional, it's kind of you, you're around it. But where do you, do you see yourself? And no one knows what the future holds, because no one would have predicted what we've just been through. But do did you see yourself still... Still still doing the commentating and doing the football and combining this? Is this, a, is this the the next step, the future for you, do you oh, think? That bit of it, yes. It's something which
1: I have to work hard and I've got to prove that I'm worth keeping, to be honest. I've got to prove my worth in anything. Yeah. If you, you kind of sit back, if you sit back, someone else will step in front of you. But I'm still going to want to be involved in football and what I do, the co-commentating, just being there. It massages my ego, being there, going to games and... You know, and just doing all those different things, seeing different people. I love, I love seeing people, and just go. You know, going back to cross channel. I mean, straight we're looking to get other sports people involved from all different sports, so we can have events. Say a table. Say, looking to get a table at Fulham and a new stand. We want to do that, so we can say to people, "Oh, we got to. Would you like to go?" And then they, then you try and get someone from a, say a golfer, a tennis player. Somebody like that, a rugby player. I mean, Terry um, Terry Butcher is involved, and he's got.
0: I've got one for you, Paul. Let's hope um, um, maybe next season. You know, Cross Channel could be doing some stuff with Fulham's return to the Premier League. That would means oh, that would be good. That's the time wouldn't when
1: it? really we'd love to. Do see you know what? have been
0: you've been really generous giving me this time today to come and just share your share your journey. I know there's the full thing, but, you know, you don't have to do this and you've kindly done it for our listeners. If myself and Foy Jones can do anything at all to get involved with what you're doing with Cross Channel, with Cross Channel if we can support it, push it out to our networks online and offline, you know, the door's open, mate, because I think the way you've described that, that's going to hit my connections, it's going to hit my clients, it's going to hit my network. We can help you with that. I'd love okay, well, to there's,
1: there's a big event. We're having a big open day event with a lot of people coming on the 24th of July at our stables in Stockbridge, Stopbridge, Hampshire. Stables are called Danebury. And um, we've got an event now, which is like starting around about, you'd be there for about nine in the morning and it's just all different things going on. One of them as well is that next door. We've got a vineyard next door. It does lovely English wine. I never, I never would never normally go to English wine.
0: No. Oh, have you have you planned this specially for my family? Horse racing and wine well, in I, the same event. I think event. it works you know what what I mean? families, To be
1: honest, it's a good combo. Yeah,
0: trust it me, it's worth
1: it. It's, worth it's, it. it's going to be good people down there, and people really see everything that that has been out about LinkedIn. If it hasn't come from Cross Channel, it's come via me through my LinkedIn page as well. And I, yeah. it's something new to me, and it is something that I enjoy. I could try and talk about most things and. I'll be have to read it off a script, but being involved and seeing it, it's 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 a new. I, I love the idea of going there. I, I leave here when I go down at five thirty in the morning. I get I'm there by half seven in the morning. I'm watching the horses all go out. We've got twenty one horses. The stables have got more than that, but we're buying horses all the time because we're getting more and more people who want to invest in a horse. But it, the yeah. horses, I said before. Is that bit of it. It's the rest of it that we offer, that people like, of meeting different people and the opportunity to meet sports people as well. All kinds of sports. As I mentioned, Terry Butcher, um, even Gary Lewin, the old Arsenal in England physio, David May. David as yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. There's a lot of rugby players who have got involved as well who just see it as something for themselves. It's a thing you can join and use it for your benefit as well. It's not just join it. And that's it. You just get you're you're in the room and you're just looking round at people. Use it for your own network while it's there. You branch off it. It's like a it's like a tree, really. You suddenly just branch off, and then you might get twigs that bounce yeah. off of it. But that's what it's about. It's, it's something that grows.
0: Uh, but it's, it's something which is going to be. You're right. It is going to hit home with a lot of families, mate. And uh, yeah, we this. Uh, geek, I'll, I'll I'll get the details and and we'll talk about it, Paul. So just to finish finish the podcast, mate. And um, we'll go back to the world of football. Um, if we look at Liverpool quite rightly, you know. Actually, before we answer, that, what what would your opinion be, Paul, as a player? Because I've got my opinion as a fan. You know, playing it out behind closed doors. What would your What would your opinion be of that? Given everything that's happened. Yeah, given everything that's happened.
1: I, I, I think it, it has to be done. <laughs> the only, only way, way. It could be done because even if you didn't. Even if you wanted to, for me, I would still go and watch a game of football. But not everyone's like my way, like me. Other people, a little bit like that, not sure. So the last thing you want is to people who are doing something because they want to, but they're not sure about it because that would cause problems. So the common sense said behind closed doors. But when you look at it and what's happening, and I was at maybe the best game so far during lockdown was West Ham. For Chelsea, it was the really it's the, the best game. game, and that's the one game so far that deserved the crowd, deserved the crowd that game. Yeah. So the football might just start to get better, and people now have got to stop saying, "Oh, stop, stop moaning about it." I'll be honest, really. We know it's there. We 100 it. know it's not the norm. It's never going to be a thing for life. Now it's just at the moment. It's the circumstances why it's happening. And yes, we do know that games are. It feels like a friendly sometimes. We do know that sometimes it looks like players might be going through their emotions. They're finding it hard to motivate themselves. So people have got to stop repeating the obvious. Watch it as it is and trying to relate to it as it is now. Understand it and and just deal with it. If you got so.
0: Oh, I, I would imagine in. Uh... In, in the Div Three games for foot in the Div Three times for Fulham, it was like playing behind uh, closed doors with a very small crowd at times. But then again you could still hear one voice as much as you can hear ten thousand voices. Did you ever play anything behind closed doors because of fans' problems? Do no, you ever experience The only
1: time I ever experienced anything like it, and you said it at the top of the show, you mentioned it, was
0: a Fulham a Fulham reserve game. A combination reserve game. Yeah, yeah. Mate, I remember when the ball went out the back of the amateur fan, if, if one of us didn't go and get it, like the old players used to have to rattle up on their studs to go and get the ball that,
1: back. That weren't tough for me because I was a young kid. So it was, I was playing with like pros at Fulham who were disgruntled because yeah, they was having yeah, to play no, a play game yeah. kicking off at two o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't want to be there. Some of us didn't really want to be there once we started driving drive that because of um the traffic was horrendous going
0: from West London to East London. So we're seeing yeah.
1: traffic at 5-6.
0: Right it? So so with the uh, with, with the restart, I mean my view on it was this and I've said it on a podcast. Um I was all up for null and voiding it, and then I'm like actually then I then I then I would argue with myself because if Fulham were playing a match, I will either have a pass or it'll be on Sky and I will be watching it and I will be, you know. I I learnt on the you'll be proud of me, Paul, on Tuesday night I learned how to have the Fulham T V up on my phone and share it with my telly. It was an amazing experience for me. That. You know, my kids were doing it. I'm like, oh, this is good. Um, I thought we'd all be around the fun watching it. But, you know, but it's, but it's regardless of me liking it or not, and Fulham did their best to, you know, not start too well, I've, I've watched every game Fulham have played that I've flicked around the others. Um, how do you think the rest of the Premier League will play out, mate? How do you, where do you, who do you think is going to get the Champions League places? I've got
1: a feeling that it's going to be Manchester United and Chelsea. They're the ones I think I've got. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, he looked warm with Fernandez boy the I mean, other night, in, didn't he? Incredible side, and his
1: enthusiasm is absolutely incredible. And people were looking at first, waiting for yeah. it to drop off, and it hasn't. It seems to have intensified even more on the fact of Popper coming back because there's both of them respect each other as footballers. They they trust each other with the ball, and it's been you know Manchester United have gained two players from the from the back end of the <laughs> pre lockdown with Rashford coming back.
0: So, so let's that, that, so say you see the Premier League. So, obviously, we know Liverpool, there, City, top, and well, a new Chelsea. So. So, even though Chelsea
1: say? are struggling defensively, I still think they've got something. They'll they, they'll make enough opportunities and score enough goals. Maybe not with their centre forwards at the moment in time, but Williams doing doing his best to keep them in there.
0: Well, that's it. The last podcast of series three, the survivals. I invited a lifelong Leeds fan and a lifelong West Brom fan, and I was doing the Fulham part. And I was saying nine games to go, twenty-seven points to play for. We've got to play you. We've got to play you. We we could end up first being Fulham. We can end up first, second, or ninth. Um, I, I kind of beat the top spots might be too much but Brentford have come out the track unbelievable they've beaten anyone in front of them haven't yeah, they a fun, at I listen the
1: the to people when they mention Brentford I was playing against Brentford when I was at QPR as a pre-season friendly and even then it was a little bit ferocious Brentford fans say what they think um, but it was it was tough but it was one that we'd always expect to win but Brentford when you look at the way they play they play you know football wise they are the one of the best league they
0: they they they, they yeah, fully I mean, deserve yeah. to beat they Fulham a dunk, when they play it. They play yeah, a, they fully a passing
1: win. game. They play. They they are very good to watch. I like it because the way they they play. You know, Fulham do play football, but it's very uh, a lethargic football, very slow, and you, it seems to be,
0: you know, what's going to happen next. But I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a young Paul Parker tackling like a ferret next to Michael Hector at the back, and I think that might be a. Uh, that that might be what we're needing. we needed because we do make the odd defensive lapse, which is uh, which is costing us. We are easy on the eye, you know. With with Metro playing, we've got a chance of scoring goals. I don't know. I, I think we're destined for the playoffs, and who knows what will happen then? It's uh, you know, it's we'll nice. see what. We? When you get into the playoffs, given that the fact of it's going to be empty, you know, it's going everything's still empty. Em- 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 empty playoff games. I mean, I saw a little bit of the Northampton exit game and. You know, it's, it is it is surreal, but like you said, that's what it is. So we've just got to deal with that yeah, and, let it, and let it play on, away.
1: haven't we? I, I went to a moment which I never thought I'd ever see in my life. I was invited as a guest by prostate cancer because I'm an ambassador for them as well. And um, they invited me to come and work at a game just to meet all their guests. They had their round the table, entertain their guests they brought along. It was the playoff game against Aston Villa. I never thought I'd ever see a moment oh. like that, ever. And it was something incredible. I think there was more Fulham fans there than what I think I played of during one my last season at Fulham. It was absolutely incredible, the amount. Paul,
0: oh, I, I didn't believe there was 40,000 Fulham fans in the world, all right? So to have them all there at Wembley, to be there with – and I had about 32 tickets, all all right there, and, you know – when Kenny scored and then a got sent off, and AK Nutmeg John Terry, like there, there were moments that day which I will never ever forget. And we we went on our joint journey, you know, to the Europa League final. Um, it won't eclipse. My best ever for moment will still be in 1997, Carlisle away when uh, um, when, when Rodney McArea hit a goal and. We then beat Mansfield on the Tuesday, and we got all that promotion under Mickey Adams, and then well, you know the rest: Jimmy Hill, something well fired, and Keegan arrives, and we and Summit again. You talk about being a being a young player in 1990, uh, 1987 going in from the third division to nineteen ninety in the World Cup final as a fan, which is just no comparison. If someone had said to me when uh, Ian bramford was in charge and we were right down the bottom of the league that in A few seasons' time, you'd have had Kevin Keegan as your manager. You would have got up to the old Division 2. Then John Cigana would have been your manager and got the entertainment team we were in the Premier League. I would have just laughed in your face. So football is a very, very surreal thing, Paul. It really is, mate. Paul, can I just say, this has been an absolute honour for me. I'm a Fulham fan first. I'm a football fan second. And I'm a fan of people forever. You've been a true gentleman, mate. It's been oh, great to have you on this podcast. It's a quirky one,
1: the enjoyable one, I must say.
0: Mate, I, I try to bring a bit of personality into it. I don't work off a script. We've got to know the Paul Parker journey during football. We've got to know the special moments in your career, what you're doing now. You've yeah. shared a lot of positivity and a lot of optimism in terms of people's health and mental wellbeing. Can I just wish you all the best? And hopefully I'll see you on the 24th, 24th edition, mate. Thank you. So there you go, that's the end of the podcast. We are Foy Jones. This is the fourth series of the Foy Jones Show. Stay safe, keep healthy, be positive because it's a new game.